The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in The Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth. Episode 62 of The Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth. I wanted to add a thank you. And I think I kind of touched on this on the last episode, JG. But uh, Nan has a very dear friend, Nicole Scipione, who came over yesterday uh, to visit and do some work with, with Nan. And... She found me as she was leaving the house and she said, I just want to thank you and JG for what you guys do on The Shallow End because it has changed the the commute that I make every week. Um, and and just having that podcast to listen to, it makes me laugh. It uh, makes me take my mind off of freeway traffic. And I really want you to know how much I've grown to appreciate what The Shallow End means, Aww. which was really, really touching. And I and I thought I and so I sent her a text afterward, just saying I want you to know how much that that means. But I also mm. wanted to say it, quote unquote, on the air because I know there are a number of people like Nicole who have emailed us, who are regular subscribers, listeners, who have taken the time to say, you know, you've changed my commute. I look forward to Wednesday mornings, stuff like that. And I just wanted to reiterate to our listeners, subscribers, how much that means when people take the time to do that. And, and so Lindsay said all that to say this, our mission is done, and uh, this is our last episode. We're signing off. <laughs> We're closing the doors. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> no, it's, it's so much fun to do, and when you do get emails or messages like that, it's, uh, gosh, it's rewarding. It really is. We, we, yeah. we appreciate that stuff. Truly, truly appreciate it. So thank you, Nicole, and thank you, everybody who's taking the time to uh to email us and say say just that our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com we'll have more emails in the middle of the show i don't know if it's your turn to go first but i'm asking you this week to go okay. first <laughs> well fine that's fine because i i need to get a quick nap in before i tell my story <laughs> well sure it's it's important to stay rested and well hydrated uh, exactly hopefully you're doing both so hope you don't hear any snoring but have at it. Just mute your mic. Um, okay, I'm calling this episode or this story the Great Canadian Cupcake Caper. Great title. It's an event that 
It'll surely go down in history as one of the most polite burglaries ever. Oh, of course, because it's Canada. Yeah. They're nice about everything. Let me let me just present this tale with a twist of humor and a and a sprinkle of courtesy only found in the Great White North. Um, okay, so here we go. It was a dark and stormy night. Okay, it might not have been stormy, but it just sounds more dramatic that way. Well, of course, it I, a young man was overcome with a craving most foul—a desire for the luscious cupcakes created by Sweet Something Bakery. Can't blame him so far. These are not just any cu- cupcakes, mind you. Um, these, the ones that he had in his mind specifically, were the chocolate champagne. Holy cupcakes. Hell. Yeah. That sounds delicious. It's uh yeah, no kidding. You ever get that like this usually happens to me when I'm in bed. Like I sleep I'll I'll wake up and I'll go, you know, red velvet cake would sound would be great right about now. <laughs> and then I'll I'll scold myself not for wanting red velvet cake but for not having the foresight to buy it earlier and have it ready. So what we've learned is when Nan and I come and visit you guys in Ecuador, we are to bring red velvet cakes as a host gift, among other yes. things. I want you to mule that in. Yeah. <laughs> I could just see getting stopped at customs. Sorry, sir. We don't allow, uh, don't allow red velvet cakes into Ecuador. We're going to have <laughs> they, to eat these here in front of you as punishment. <laughs> and, and then they slowly take a bite out of yeah, it. And Bastards. Oh, I hate it here in Ecuador. Well, I'm going to call our protagonist Sir Cupcake because he was unnamed in this new art, news article, and I just want to. He wasn't just any ordinary criminal. He was a man of class. He was a gentleman burglar, if you will. This according to the owner of the cupcake store, Emma Irvine. So here's what happened. The witching hour, 3 a.m., hung heavy over Vancouver. The moon... Possibly hidden behind clouds. I don't know, but I'm trying to paint some sort of a dramatic landscape in your brain. Doing a great job. Great job. These hypothetical clouds and moonlight casting an eerie glow over the night. In the empty streets, a figure could be seen approaching Sweet Something Bakery. Now, this wasn't just a midnight wanderer. Oh, no. It was Sir Cupcake. Himself. And he was on a mission. (laughs) Now, he was dressed unusually. He, uh, he was wearing large, oversized orange sunglasses. Hmm. Fortunately, he had on other clothing as well. <laughs> but that's what stood out in the, um, in the closed-circuit television footage. This was not just a fashion statement. I, I think he thought of it more as like a superhero mask or something. I'm not sure. So he stands, and this is all on video. He stands outside the bakery, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's eyeing the glass door and the cupcakes just beyond his grasp. Those chocolate champagne cupcakes sitting innocently in the display, calling out to him like some freshly baked sirens covered in deliciously creamy, frosty, uh, deliciously creamy frosting, whispering promises of sweet ecstasy. Beckoning, you might say. If you will. Oh, I will. Sir Cupcake's need was primal. It was a hunger that gnawed at his very soul. So, with determination born of the desire for dessert, he took a few steps back, 
perhaps uh-huh. rehearsing the kick in his mind. His foot would be a battering ram, his leg a chiseled tool for his cupcake-laden destiny. A deep breath filled his lungs, and off he went, sprinting like a moose across the Canadian tundra. In mating season, no doubt. Sure. (laughs) The impact was tremendous. Did it work? The sound would wake anyone sleeping in Uh that Canadian neighborhood. Glass shattered. Sparkling like glimmering ice on the northern lakes, scattered across the bakery floor. Good thing he had those orange sunglasses on. Yeah, protective eye gear. Right. So he's able to kick this glass door down, and he steps through the wreckage, careful not to cut his shoes, cut his dapper shoes, because he was a well-dressed burglar. His heart pounding in his chest, not from fear, but, but from excitement. The world of sweet something was now his playground. I can only imagine. (laughs) Just imagine the smell of that. That's got to smell just delicious. The smell of freshly baked cupcakes and shattered glass. That's one of my, that's my favorite candle (laughs) scent. Is it? Yeah. I think Yankee Candle makes a version of that. I'm not sure. I think they, I think they do, but it's only available in Canada, I think. Or along the uh, border in the northern states of the U.S. So he breaks in and he decides not to just, you know, fill a bag full of cupcakes and split. He sees an overstuffed chair and decides to just sit down and contemplate his situation. He doesn't want to rush into this. He wants to really savor the moment and (laughs) steal exactly the right cupcake. Is that it? I I guess so. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but, but surveillance video shows him kicking the glass door down and then going over and sitting in an overstuffed chair, not just for a few minutes, but like about 45 minutes. Interesting. I guess there wasn't an alarm system or if so, it malfunctioned. I'm not sure. I picture him sitting there kind of, going over his moral responsibilities. Uh, He rose from the chair, and he seemed to be driven now by a new purpose. Hmm. He knew he must respect the space he invaded, just as he would his own home. His actions had caused a disruption, and it was his duty, no, dare, dare I say destiny, to restore the harmony of the cupcake store. This after he has kicked in and shattered the glass front door. Yes, yeah. Okay. So he navigates his way through the bakery and into the bathroom where he discovers a mop and a bucket. So he's seen reappearing from the restroom into the main area again. He fills the bucket with water and with the mop in hand, he starts cleaning up. Well, that's nice of him. (laughs) Yeah, he uh, he's he's mopping the shards of glass into a pile And he scoops the glass up as best as he can, because I guess he couldn't find a broom. He's using a mop and uh, throws it away. It was it was clumsy. At least he was trying. It was an attempt. His heart was in the right place, even though his foot wasn't. (laughs) The shards moved reluctantly at first and then more easily as he found his rhythm. He was not just cleaning the floor. Lindsay, I, I, I picture him envisioning him cleaning his soul as well. Oh, well put, well put. Go on. But Sir Cupcake's inexperience did show the glass stubbornly clung to the floor, refused to be entirely swept away. Puddles formed where there should not have been puddles. Streaks marred the surface, a testament to his good intentions but insufficient skill. 
Mm. Though he labored with all of his might, the final result was, as Emma Irvine, again the owner of the cupcake store, later described as not a great cleanup job. But, <laughs> but the effort was there. The intent was pure. His moral compass pointing steadfastly north. Sir Cupcake's cleaning episode, though flawed in execution, was an act of respect. It was a bridge between the impulsive decision to break in and the courtesy to leave things as he found them as best as he could. A beautiful mess, you could say. A culinary <laughs> crime tinged with the essence of Canadian politeness. Well put. Now, Irvine made a TikTok, and in it she remarked that the cleaning job was subpar. But let's not nitpick here. Sir Cupcake was uh, not just a hungry criminal. He was a criminal with a heart. Now, he, it's not that he didn't steal stuff, because he did. After much dilly-dallying, he pilfered six chocolate champagne cupcakes. Uh, he left the crime scene, but not before he uh, took a couple of selfies and then kicked a few remaining glass shards aside. On Monday, the day after the uh, break-in was discovered, the owner... Irvine was strolling with her dog and pondering life's big questions when she heard the astonishing news from an employee. Sir Cupcake had thought better of his actions and called to apologize. <laughs> he offered to pay $850 in damages and even gift his iconic orange sunglasses to her. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. How That is kind. It is. Irvine, embodying the spirit of Canadian kindness, de declined to press charges. Instead, she baked a new cupcake called Crimes of Passion, <laughs> shaped like the now infamous orange sunglasses. Very smart. Talk about making lemonade. No kidding. The Vancouver Police Department, no doubt slightly bewildered by the entire episode, stated they were investigating. Meanwhile, citizens of Vancouver... Uh, raised a cup of Tim Horton's coffee in salute to Sir Cupcake and the epitome of Canadian politeness. As for wow. the cupcakes, we can only hope they were as good as Sir Cupcake had imagined, for if they were not, it's undoubtedly a crime in and of itself. Now, he kept the cupcakes, he ate them, but ultimately they cost him $850 and a pair of his sunglasses. Those are some pricey cupcakes. So she she didn't file charges. She didn't she didn't want him arrested for it. Right. No, she didn't file charges. She just, uh, as you said, made lemonade out of lemons, created a special new cupcake shaped like his glasses uh, called Crimes of Passion. Now, the police, they are investigating, but she's not yeah. planning on pressing pressing charges. I wonder how that how that uh, is going to be handled. The guy clearly committed the crime. He admitted committing the crime is paying restitution and she says i don't want to file charges i wonder if the police would say well that's nice of you but he committed a crime <laughs> he's confessed to it we have to you can see that one going either way i don't know maybe they'll just go oh we just call it even eh have a good day <laughs> don't do it again you know this is a mouth-watering reminder that even in the oddest of circumstances manners matter my friend and a sweet tooth, if mixed with a dash of courtesy, can turn a crime into a comedy. Let it be a lesson to us all. If you're going to steal cupcakes, at least be polite about it. Well put. And don't forget to mop up when you're done. Well put. Yeah. My source information, the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and the Washington Post. 
Hey, look, if you're passionate about sports, looking for a thrill, you need to check out the freshly redesigned X-Bet. They're calling it the last sports book you'll ever join. Yeah, they really do have it all, whether it's odds on basketball, combat sports, or even betting on the next Bitcoin dip. The best part is, when you win, you get paid quick. It's not just about placing bets. XBet is a whole experience. They support athletes and shows just like ours. They give back to the community with tons of free bets and cash prize contests. And did we mention they have a casino now? Spin the slots, play the roulette, or try your luck at the live tables, all from a mobile platform that lets you enjoy the fun on the go. So whether you're super into sports betting or just curious about giving it a try, you need a site that makes it fun and easy. That's why you got to check out XBet. Sign up today using promo code SHALLOW and get a generous bonus bonus of up to $1,000 on your first deposit. That's right. Promo code SHALLOW for a free cash bonus to kickstart your betting journey. With so many great UFC cards on the horizon and baseball season in full swing. See what I did there? Baseball swing. There's never been a better time to play. Make your next bet. X-Bet. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Most refrigerators hold about 20 to 25 cubic feet of space, and that's fine for most people, but you're not most people. You want something more. Introducing the Deep Space Refrigerator, the only appliance of its kind. The Deep Space Refrigerator holds an astounding 100,000 cubic feet of space for all your cold food storage needs. That's the size of a commercial building. But miraculously, the Deep Space Refrigerator takes up the same amount of space as your current refrigerator, averaging just three feet by four feet. How do we do it? Our patented time-space continuum technology allows you to literally step inside your new deep space refrigerator and walk for blocks. It's the same technology that aliens from other worlds use in their spacecraft. We checked. Organize your food any way you wish. Dairy on aisle one. Seafood on aisle three. Steaks and chops on aisle four. Fruits and vegetables on aisle seven. Aisle nine, empty right now, but you'll find something to store there. Use the included forklift to shuttle your food to the refrigerator door. Open the door, jump back into your kitchen, and carry what you need to your countertop. It's that easy. The deep space refrigerator should not be used by those with heart conditions or fear of manipulating the time-space continuum. Also, anyone who doesn't like long walks in the cold. The deep space refrigerator, available at finer appliance stores. Susan writes, hey, Jethro and Lindsay, I'm a proud dickhead. <laughs> now, she goes on to explain that's an, what? that's an affectionate term for people who are obsessed with Moby Dick the book as Ahab was obsessed with Moby Dick the white whale. I get it. As soon as I heard Jethro's story about Walter and his deer adventure, it brought to mind my favorite book. <laughs> Is not deer hunting long overdue for its own epic adventure story? Yes, yes, it is. Great point. From the opening riveting enigmatic line, call me Walter. <laughs> <laughs> this tale of the hunt is interspersed with excruciatingly technical descriptions of the equipment of hunting, 
long treatises on the taxonomy and anatomy of deer, obscure jokes about flatulence and naughty bits, and lengthy philosophical ramblings. At the dramatic conclusion, the hunter becomes the hunted. After lunging at the majestic deer with his spear, Walter becomes entangled in the antlers and utters those famous lines, Towards thee I roll, thou all, destroying but unconquering deer. <laughs> to the last I grapple with thee, from hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. Sink all coffins and all hearses to one common pool. And since neither can be mine, let me then tow the pieces while still chasing thee. Thou tied to thee, thou damned deer. Thus, I give up the spear. Wow. Susan. And Susan, you know, it was a white-tailed deer. So... There you go. Jeez, Susan, that's a hell of a hell of a piece of writing. Well done, Susan. Well done. Moby Deer. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it. The email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. A listener named Laura writes, Hello, I thought y'all might find this article amusing. It's from San Francisco. In 1892, and I found it while doing ancestry research for my dad's side of the family. Two of the men featured are third great-granduncles of mine, Duncan and John McNee. Their sister is my third great-grandmother. How does she keep all this straight? Wow. And wow, never did I think I'd find such a story while going down the newspaper archive rabbit hole. I actually typed out the article below, but also attached the newspaper PDF. P.S. I got to meet Cat and Jethro when they did a show at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. And an added fact, Cobb's is one mile away from where this potential bomb throwing took place, which I guess isn't hard in a city that's only seven by seven miles. <laughs> Love the show. Thanks for the laughs. Laura. Thanks, Laura. And Laura. Thank you, Laura. Laura not only found the story, sent the newspaper page with the story itself highlighted, but she transcribed the entire thing wow. for us, which was extremely kind. Hello, everyone. Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler, 
Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm struck by how many shallow end moments, JG, involve bank robbers. And one could almost do an entire podcast just on just on bungled bank robbery stories, right? No, you could. And Laura, that listener whose email we just read and sent this story, she, as she pointed out, happened in the late 1800s. And it, it proves to me that shallow enders have been around since probably, <laughs> you know, primal like cavemen. Mm. And I'm wishing we could find those stories because I bet you anywhere that, you know, it would be, this is the story of Kronk, the caveman <laughs> who came up with an idea of getting rid of ants in his cave. <laughs> Kronk realized that all he needed was a torch and some flammable liquid uh-huh. or something, something like that. I, it's writing because itself. Clearly, people have been doing stupid stuff (laughs) since the beginning of time. But I want to thank Laura for this story. And as I said, we've got a new high bar here because we have this is the first case of a listener finding a story, reading it, deciding it's a good shallow end piece, and then actually transcribing the damned thing so we can read it. So. In the future, all listeners should do all of our work for us, don't you think? <laughs> I think that's the point Lindsay's trying to make. I need you to find stories, vet them, and then type them out in such a way that we can just read them. And pretty soon we'll just have you recording the podcast yourself. And right, and editing it. JG and I will play golf. <laughs> You're in the shallow end with Schnapply and Talk. So this comes to us from a paper called The Morning Call which I just absolutely love as the name of a newspaper, which was a San Francisco paper in the late 1800s. This actually happened December 10th, 1892, and it's called A Man of Nerve, How He Captured a Bomb Thrower. And it's a uh, it's how a startling demand for money is met with a fine show of true grit. Now, JG, you have talked many times, particularly on Box, about how you love old time journalism and the way stories in the in that period in America in 1800s were written. Everything was very heroic. I love the 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 tone that they used back then. You can hear it in your head as you're reading it. And it makes me think of something that um, David McCullough, God rest his soul, the recently deceased historian, talked about literature in the 1700s, 1800s was written for the ear and not the eye because so many people were illiterate. Novelists knew that they were writing their stories for the reader the guy sitting around the campfire who was reading the book or story or whatever to people who were largely illiterate. I had I not think is, heard that, but that's fascinating. Isn't it? Isn't it fascinating? And I'd never heard it until David McCullough pointed it out. And then I thought, well, that makes total sense. If these guys knew, you know, my audience isn't reading this. The audience, 98% of my audience <laughs> are people who are going to be having this story read to them. Wow. So now I'm getting way off track, but the the first line of this newspaper story is, give me money quick 
or I'll blow you up. (laughs) Three men stood behind the counter of the San Francisco Collateral Loan Bank, 538 Kearney Street, at 3.30 o'clock yesterday afternoon, when these startling words were uttered by a roughly dressed young fellow who carried a big parcel under his arm. The three men behind the bank counter were manager Max Goldberg, treasurer John H. McNee, and secretary Duncan McNee. They were trying to keep their fingers warm by counting stacks of golden twenties <laughs> and piles of greenbacks when the stranger wafted in with a gust of wind. Ooh, Isn't that delicious? I love that. The three men behind the counter had not recovered from the shocking surprise before the shabby visitor with the parcel under his arm repeated the demand for money with an oath for emphasis. Give me the money, he shrieked, or I'll blow you skyward. (laughs) Visions of the crank with a dynamite bomb who blew up Russell Sage's office and himself floated before Max Goldberg and John H. McNee. Forgetting about the stacks of money and unredeemed pledges behind the counter, they thought only of safety by flight. It was not strange, then, that they did not stand upon the order of going, but went at once. They stumbled and fell over each other as they fled to the street. So that's only two of the three. Not so was it with Secretary (laughs) Duncan McNee. Even when the visitor deposited his burden upon the counter and touched a lighted cigar to what appeared to be a fuse, he, McNee, stayed his ground. Come, howled the man with a suspicious-looking package. Be lively and hand over your money before you are blown to eternity. But Duncan McNee proved himself a man of nerve. He neither ran nor handed over any money. Calmly reaching beneath the counter, he grasped a big pistol. (laughs) and flourished it in the money hunter's face. Go, you son of a bitch, or I'll kill you. Now, instead of son of a bitch, they have four hyphens. So back then, the newspaper would not be so crude as to use terminology like that in a printed story, of course. Go, you son of a bitch, or I'll kill you, coolly said McNee as he shoved the pistol under the shabby man's nose. (laughs) No? I guess you'd better stay, continued McNee, as his man started for the door, leaving the parcel, fuse and all, behind. McNee pursued the fellow, caught him by the collar, and marched him back into the bank. (laughs) By this time, the frightened manager and treasurer had also returned. Then there was some rapid telephoning to Chief Crowley's office, and detectives Seymour and Sylvie started down Kearney Street on the run. The prisoner and his parcel were turned over to them. George Johnson is the name given by the prisoner. He was locked in the city prison on a charge of an attempt to commit robbery. To the detectives, Johnson made a statement, but to reporters he said only, I haven't anything to say. (laughs) According to the story, he told the officers he was 30 years old and came to this coast from Clinton, Indiana, two years ago. He is a laborer and worked for some time in Los Angeles. See, that just goes to prove that even back then, J.G., in the late 1800s, Los Angeles was screwing people up right and left. (laughs) And it's only gotten worse. He was a fine young man, I'm sure, when he was a laborer in Clinton, Indiana, but those few weeks he spent in L.A. clearly turned things around, and that's how he ended up a bank robber in the city of San Francisco. Wow. 
The story goes on to say, since he came to the city several months ago, he's been out of employment. Becoming desperate, he decided to commit robbery by a little ruse of his own. This little ruse was nothing more or less than procuring an empty shirt box, fitting in a piece of rope in the side to resemble a fuse, then wrapping the hole in paper, leaving visible about half an inch of the rope. The only trouble with his scheme was that he ran against the wrong man in his first attempt. Why didn't you shoot me, said Johnson when confronted by Duncan McNee in the city prison. I'm sorry you didn't. Listen to this. Because, answered McNee calmly, I think you'd look better in convict stripes than in a coffin. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Is that not delicious? It's like dialogue written for Jack Webb. Exactly. I'm sorry you didn't shoot me. Because you'd look better in convict stripes than a coffin, my friend. <laughs> and we fade to black. I love that story. That's Shallow tremendous. end stories from the late 1800s. Nan pointed out a few days ago, she said, you know, anytime you guys get stories from, from way, way back, it's, it's, uh, it's always really entertaining. I love the way back stupid people. So I want to give a shout out to, a shout out to Laura, the listener who submitted that, and a belated thanks to the Morning Call newspaper, <laughs> which I fear is no longer in circulation. <laughs> But it was back in 1892 when all this uh, when all this went down. 1892. Wow. And they they had telephones. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. 1892. So that would have been. Uh, oh, I should have done this math beforehand. That that would have been 14 years before the uh, San Francisco earthquake. No. Oh. 1906. Have you ever seen the footage of the aftermath of the San Francisco quake? I have, and I've actually seen something cooler not to be a, a dick about it but go ahead no that's all i have i'm forget no. it now i'm not even going to bring it up well it's a good thing you brought it up because it allows me to tell my story about <laughs> years and years ago having uh, cocktails and dinner with a very good friend of mine uh, john uh Adi, who worked in tucson radio at the same time you and i did mm-hmm. his air name was john sanford mm-hmm. he took me to a restaurant in bix uh, he took me to a restaurant in San Francisco called Bix, B-I-X, and their bar, it's a, it's a really cool, old, old building. Their bar is this giant brick wall that still, at least the last time I was there in the early 90s, still had soot and flame Ooh. marks, actual soot and ash from the Great Fire of 1906. Wow. And somebody very wisely thought, why would we clean that off when you could point to that wall at the bar and say, yeah, those are those are remnants from the great fire of the earthquake of 1906. Isn't that crazy? That's great. That's some forward thinking there. That's marketing from the past for sure. That was the first place I ever had steak tartare. <laughs> Don't tell Kat. No, no, no. That'll be our little secret. One of many. I might add. I can see next time, next time, <laughs> next, next time, Kat's on a call. She's going to say, so I uh, <laughs> understand you had uh, steak tartare, really. <laughs> I want to go to that, order the steak tartare and ask them if they have a, a vegan version. I thought you were going to say, I want to order the steak tartare and then say, can you uh, put this over a flame, say over that bar? Could you heat, heat this up? It's a little undercooked.
I don't know how you can, I, I, and I don't know how steak tartare works in terms of one's system. I feel like if I just went into the kitchen right now and ate half a pound of raw beef, I would get terribly sick. Especially if you put an egg in there, a raw egg as well. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I mean, you mix it all together and fry it up. I'm sure it's great, but no thanks. Yeah. yeah. And those are our thoughts on steak tartare. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Please send us your comments, your story ideas, your questions. Um, We greatly appreciate it. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. We'll see you next time and continue to make good choices. Your life and your steak tartare might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toth. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go.